okay, I'm just going to come out and say it. Cessationism is heretical. Let me say it again for the kids in the back in case you didn't hear me. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, distinguished guests, esteemed colleagues, let me say it loud and clear. Cessationism is heresy. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't consider cessationists brothers and sisters in Christ. I know a lot of wonderful people that are Christians who are cessationists, and they are amazing, godly people. And on the other side, I know many continuationists that are not very godly people. So we're not talking here about the fruit of individual lives. I'm talking about the doctrine itself. Heaven is going to be full of cessationists. Well, former cessationists anyway. Thank God having perfect theology is not a requirement for salvation. But I stand by my statement that cessationism itself is a doctrine of demons. It's rank heresy. And there's not a single reasonable or rational, much less biblical justification for it. And I'm going to try to prove that today on Daniel Kalenda, Off the Record. This is not what God is saying, okay? I know the Holy Spirit is not saying that every cessationist is about to change their mind, right, and become a continuationist or something like that. That's not what the Holy Spirit is saying. But I believe what God is saying is there is a stirring happening in the, in the camp of cessationism right now. And this stirring, what, is, what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's calling out to the hearts of those who have rejected the gifts of the Spirit for today, who have rejected the move of the Spirit, who have rejected that the Holy Spirit can speak to the church today and speak to individual Christians and, and he's stirring hearts to go back into Scripture for themselves and to read it for themselves and see what does the Word of God actually say about all of these things that I've been taught. Listen, do not, please, 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 do not settle for making this decision based on what people have told you or what people have taught. Just because they have a platform doesn't make them right. Just because I have a platform doesn't make me right. If it's not backed by Scripture, if it's not what the Word of God says, it's not right. It's not true. What does the scripture actually say about that? And that is what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing right now in this season. And listen, the, the, the impression I got from the Lord about this film was that God is even using this film and it's going to backfire. And not just the film, but the conferences and the other things that are, that are taking place. The Lord is going to use these things to backfire and get those who are listening to this cessationist message to go start doing the research in the scripture for themselves and to find out what the word of God says about the gifts what the Word of God says about the move of the Spirit. Well, if you've been paying attention to what's been going on online in a social media world and on YouTube and such, you're going to know that there is some uh, pushback and some <laughs> shaking going on regarding the cessationist movie that premiered at the G3 conference on September 21st. And in, in addition to that, uh, it is brought up this debate yet again, which is my understanding is an in-house debate between born-again believers um, as far as continuationism and cessationism is concerned. And I, I wanted to play these two clips, and I'm actually going to spend the first half looking at Daniel Kalinda and what he said. This is a part one that he did. He has not released a part two. This was released four days ago now as of this recording. But he is fired up, it seems, about cessationism, and his approach uh, is rather abrasive, to be quite frank. Uh, as, as I've noted before, when he talks about the NAR conspiracy, this seems to be his way of handling things. So we're going to look at that a little bit. Uh, as always, this is not an exhaustive episode. This is basically going to be skimming the water as far as cessationism is concerned versus continuationism. But I'm going to offer up some pushback. And I'm also going to offer up some some things for you to consider. I'm even going to share some resources with you, some books I would suggest you reading. Uh, regardless of where you fall on the side of this discussion, I would argue that there is a difference between continuationism and restorationism, as some other biblical scholars have pointed out in the past. 
The other person that we just heard from is, is Troy Black. And I want to spend the second half of this podcast talking about this. I thought this was interesting because Troy Black professes to hear the voice of God. Now, he tries to, and we're going to discuss this today uh, because I take issue with it. And as someone who was part of this movement and seeing the error that I even uh, walked in and uh, professed and proclaimed as a, quote, prophet in this movement, um, he espouses to hear the voice of God, yet he does his best and he doesn't hear God perfectly, but he wants to get the message across. And then he goes on to speak authoritatively as if God told him that while he's speaking out the other side of his mouth saying, I don't hear perfectly, but this is what God said, which that that seems double minded to me. And it seems not recognizing that there's double speak going on and contradiction at any rate. We're going to talk today about this controversy that that has gone on on social media. There are several other people that have made videos regarding this, calling for debates and name-calling and calling the cessationist movie sinister and demonic and cessationism, as you heard, Kalinda, heretical while calling them brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, we're going to touch on that and the contradiction of that. So we're going to cover some of these things today, and I hope you find it helpful as always, and I hope you find it friendly, uh, gentle, kind, patient, as it should be as we're glorifying Christ, and, and that you will find yourself going back to Scripture in a proper way and realizing that having intelligence and biblical discernment and wanting to understand the original languages and, and wanting to do further Bible study and even uh, church history and things is not a bad thing because that helps you to make an informed decision about what, where you stand in this belief. Again, this is a secondary issue when you're talking about continuationism versus cessationism. That That's aside from the, the beliefs of aberrant teachings that are not heretical, but they're very problematic. And then you cross into heresy. So got a lot of ground to cover today, but I hope you find this helpful as we dig into this topic of cessationism. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. Well, this episode today should not be controversial at all. <laughs> That's just a joke. Gotta lighten it up a little bit. So, yeah, let's talk about cessationism today. And we're going to be looking at these two videos, again, not exhaustively, um, but we are going to be looking at some clips, and I'm going to be offering some commentary on some things and some things for you to ponder. And there's things that you're probably going to be pondering on, and you may disagree with me on some things, and it's okay. But we go back to Scripture as the final authority, because Scripture is authoritative, and that is God speaking. So I want to say this up front and lay my cards out on the table so you know where I stand real quick, and then we're going to dive into this. My background, for those of you that may not know me very well or this is your first time listening to an episode, my background is coming out of the Word of Faith Hypercharismatic New Apostolic Reformation compilation uh, that I was part of for 18 years. And in that 18 years, I experienced many different things, many different supernatural manifestations. I claimed to prophesy. I claimed to hear the voice of God for myself. Um, I had dreams. I had visions. I had trances. I had journals full of alleged things that God told me. Um, there, there were many things that, that happened in those 18 years, as you can imagine. And coming out of this movement in 2019, 
I began to consider the things that I had been taught. And I started going back to scripture and started looking at some of the verses I had been taught on certain things and looking at the context of them. And it took me a while to get to the point where I am now. And that was not something that happened overnight. It didn't happen in two weeks. It didn't happen in a month. It took a while. It took a while of me digging through scripture and continuing to dig through scripture, continuing to read books that would help me and commentaries and trying to understand some of the, the original language and listening to, to Bible teach, solid Bible teachers on the matter, coming to these, looking at some of the church history in this. And uh, when I came out, probably within a year, I was open but cautious on on some of these things because I was just afraid to think, oh, well, I don't want to say that God couldn't do these things or that. And let me just say this. God can do whatever he wants. God is God. He can do whatever he wants. Having said that, he's also put parameters in his word that help us to know what he will do and what he will not do. And so those are things that we need to know and to understand, and we don't make up our own rules or our own interpretation on on something, especially unclear passages, and create doctrines out of those, which we'll get to that too. But at any rate, the point that I'm at now is that I am a cessationist. I believe what I'm considered what is a, a concentric cessationist, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that God could still um, empower a missionary in another country to speak in a known language that's unknown to that missionary and supernaturally minister the gospel to those people because God would sovereignly allow that. Now, the question is, is that the same gift as what's in Scripture? That's the question. What we do know is that it's not an ecstatic utterance, which is not found in Scripture. So there's the thing there. There's the rub. And yes, I was one of those that used to profess for 15 years of my 18 years there at that church. I prayed in tongues. At least I thought I did. I would argue now that that's not legitimate because of things of looking at false religions that do the same thing. It's it, it looks very similar. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit would do something like that that would look like another religion and in in essence create false unity. Not to mention the history of where the prayer language came from. And I would encourage anybody that has been taught this in the charismatic movement that you need to not just read Robert Slairdon's books on the matter that are biased, but you need to do your research and you need to do your homework on this. And that that would include listening to people that you may not want to listen to. And you need to take into consideration the history of what you have not been told about how the prayer language came to be because the original intent and the original understanding during the Azusa Street Revival and Charles Fox Parham, they believed in what the Bible teaches, and then it had to change because of uh, inconvenient circumstances of them traveling overseas and, and speaking in gibberish. So there are some legitimate concerns when you're talking about people that are claiming in the charismatic, hyper-charismatic movement. I know not, not all charismatics claim this necessarily, but when you're talking about people that are claiming and saying that you're disobeying God and you're disobeying the word of God because you don't prophesy and you don't speak in tongues, then there's some questions that need to be asked in that. And one of the biggest ones is, are these gifts that you're talking about matching with what scripture says? And I would argue that many times they're not, especially when you believe in fallible prophecy. And I believed in fallible prophecy and I no longer do. 
because I believe that God's word is sufficient and I have a high view of of his word. And I will also say this, and I'm going to take a note from Ian Hamilton, which I'm going to share the link to this below. I highly encourage you to listen to this debate between uh, Wayne Grudem and Ian Hamilton that took place in 2010. One of them is a continuationist. One of them is a cessationist. I have listened to several debates. I've listened to some with Dr. Michael Brown with a few people. I have actually found, honestly, the one between Wayne Grudem and Ian Hamilton the most helpful and the most insightful. So I would encourage you to listen to that and just listen to both sides and see what's going on and where the um, the argument falls. Not necessarily who wins, but just take things into consideration. We've lost the ability to be to talk and to discuss. And instead, we launch into these ad hominem attacks, logical fallacies, straw man arguments, and then we want to call everybody Pharisees and heretics, and we don't even know what we're talking about. And again, this is coming from someone that used to call people Pharisees in this movement because anybody who's trying to quench the Holy Spirit or shut down the move of God, they're Pharisees, right? Please do your homework and know what a Pharisee is because you're ignorant when you don't know. And you start saying these things and you don't realize that you're acting like a Pharisee by some of the things you're doing, by by putting more spiritual burdens on people. So Ian Hamilton, when he uh, responded to Wayne Grudem as far as what his stance was, he said, I am a continuationist, meaning I believe that the Holy Spirit is very much active today. He's still operating and he's still doing things. He's still at work in people. But as far as the apostolic gifts are concerned, I'm a cessationist. This is what Ian Hamilton said. And I would agree with this because I don't believe that there are modern day apostles today. I don't believe that there are modern day prophets today because they're not necessary. We have the final prophet, according to Hebrews 1, that's already spoken. And that is Jesus Christ. There is no further revelation that's needed. What we have in scripture is sufficient. And when we're trying to create extra biblical revelation and speak beyond that and put God's name on it while saying, well, it could be fallible, you know, I'm doing my best to hear God, then we're undermining the omniscience and the omnipotence of God, and we're undermining the sufficiency of Scripture, and we're undermining what God has already given us and what He's already spoken. And every time that you hear the Word of God being ministered audibly, that is God speaking. So we need to take those things in consideration. So with that, I want to look at what Daniel Kalinda said, some of the things he said, at least in his video that he created four days ago called The Heresy of Cessationism, Part 1, The Continuationist Scriptures, Daniel Kalinda Off the Record. Now, this was about a 40-minute video. I did listen to the whole video in its entirety. He opened up with the clip I just played for you that that cessationism is a heresy. It is heretical. It is a doctrine of demons, he said. But then he went on to say something that really contradicted because you can't have a doctrine if you don't have people that believe it. So the doctrine has to have believers. It has to have followers of it, people that that um, subscribe to that teaching, that they believe that teaching. So you can't just call the belief a heretical but then say, well, those that believe it, they're, I'm not saying that they're not brothers and sisters in Christ. There are article links that I'm going to share with you on a few things here today that I found that I think that you will find helpful when understanding and making sure and using caution of using the word heresy when you describe something or heretic when you describe someone, because that is a serious accusation to make against somebody. According to the Merriam-Webster Collegiate Dictionary, the basic definition of heresy is this. It's an adherence to a religious opinion contrary to church dogma. A second definition is dissent or deviation from a dominant theory, opinion, or practice. So these definitions 
have two key elements in them, a dominant position and a contrary position. So with regards to religion, any belief or practice that goes against the official position of the church is considered heretical. Now, when you start looking at different types of heresies through the the church age, the church years, you're going to notice that, uh, for example, on Wikipedia, and I know that this can be uh, hit or miss on this, but there's a, a listing on there on Wikipedia that someone has compiled of the different heresies throughout the church age and the different areas of which church opposed that view, what the view was. And uh, cessationism is actually not on any of those that I can find. But we do see things such as docetism, Montanism, Montanism in the second century. I've done a podcast on this before. If you've never heard of Montanism, it was a second century heretical belief that was attacking the church. And basically, it was a movement that emphasized the importance of prophecy and ecstatic experiences. There's been universalism throughout the years, Gnosticism. Gnosticism was another one. It was a complex system of thought that teaches that the material world is evil and that salvation can be achieved through knowledge or gnosis. There's been several things. Modalism is another uh, heresy. Pelagianism is a heresy. There's been numerous things throughout the church, and and even uh, the Roman Catholic Church called Protestantism <laughs> heretical, according to the Council of Trent on a couple of different counts. Um, in uh, 1530, uh, the Council of Trent condemned 20 propositions from the Augsburg Confession, the foundational document of Lutheranism. And in 1563, the Council of Trent condemned 10 propositions from the Calvinist Confession of Faith. These are things to be aware of. I mean, heresy is essentially attacking the the doctrinal belief about Jesus Christ, for one thing. Uh, when you look at heresy, uh, for example, gotquestions.org talked about this. Heresy is an attack on the, the doctrinal belief about who Jesus is. That's one of the main things that you see, whether it's the incarnation of Christ, that uh, the, the belief of the Trinity. When you start looking at it, a lot of the heretical beliefs was centered upon what was believed about Jesus, which is a big problem. Believing in cessationism does not make you a heretic, and it doesn't equate to heresy. And I would also present something from an article I found on the Gospel Coalition that uh, was there was an article called "Be Careful About Calling Somebody a Heretic." And this gentleman was sharing about that heresy does exist, and that uh, we we do see it in uh, in throughout the church that's infiltrating. And a lot of times too, you'll see that the problem is not outside the church, but it's things infiltrating from within the church that are causing problems. And Paul even warned the the elders in Ephesus in Acts twenty that this would happen, that even among themselves that they would rise up and they would want to lead people after themselves, that there would be false teachings that would come in. The apostles warned about this, that this would happen. It's it's throughout scripture. And so this is not an uncommon problem. But again, the question is, uh, is cessationism heretical? This one gentleman that wrote in the Gospel Coalition, he had in seminary a history professor that that uh, cautioned them about when they were debating one another and calling each other heretics on what they believed. And he told them, he said, to call someone a heretic isn't the same as arguing that they are wrong. Calling someone a heretic means that they have departed from Orthodox Christianity so far that they are undermining the faith and can no longer be considered a brother or sister in Christ. Christ. A person who embraces heresy is not a Christian, according to Christian tradition. If a person knowingly teaches heresy and as such is a heretic, then by the way Christianity has defined heresy, this person cannot be a Christian. So my point in saying all this to you for a few minutes is that Daniel Kalinda using this term is 
not correct. He's trying to speak at again out of both sides of his mouth and say, "Well, cessationism is a heresy, but I uh, believe that those that hold to it are brothers and sisters in Christ." You can't have both. Okay, and you can't separate the doctrine and say, well, cessationism is heretical, but I'm not talking about those that believe it. That makes no sense whatsoever. Zero sense. You have to use logic in this and words matter. Words mean things. So when you use a word, you can't use it because it's um, aggressive and it and it's um, uh, sensational and it gets views. You use words in an appropriate way to for the meaning that they have. Scripture does the same thing. Scripture uses words, Hebrew words in the Old Testament and Aramaic and Greek in the New Testament, and they have meaning. They have specific meaning depending on the context that is used. That should not be a, a debate as far as wanting to know what the original meaning meant so that way we can honor God in the proper way and in, in essence understand His Word better and also grow in our fellowship with God. God by knowing his word better. It's really frustrating to hear people diminish that and they say, well, you just, you know, you're just full of head knowledge and you just want to understand this or that. Well, yes, I do want to understand that. But I also understand that the Holy Spirit is not going to contradict what his word said and make it mean something that it never meant to begin with. I will share those links with you also. And then there's one other link I'll share with you that Chorus of the Chaos shared. It was actually in reference to the state of theology that Ligonier did last year that is quite disturbing. And the title of this article is that Ligonier's state of theology reveals 84% of Christians are heretics. (laughs) So when you look at that, it's actually quite um, it is quite disturbing. But at the same time, when you begin to look down what they posted in this and what, what professing Christians believe about who God is, the inerrancy of Scripture, and and the doctrine of the Trinity and who Jesus is and that He was a created being and, and the view of sin and such, you begin to understand why this is such a serious matter. So when we get back to Daniel Kalinda's video, we see that, uh, that Kalinda uses quite a bit of snark when discussing this, going so far as to say that the conference plan next year, the the cessation, uh, the cessationism conference is a gathering to talk about the things God is not doing and even the miracle free zone or God's day off. And let me just say this uh, regarding his statements. Uh, we can open up to areas in scripture where we see the miracle working power of God at work. I mean, I see God's power at work frequently when people come out of aberrant teaching and hear the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ according to Scripture, and the Holy Spirit does a work within them to bring them to life or to open their ears to the truth. Pastors all over the United States who are not partnering with demons, by the way, or the devil, um, according to to some who would say that because they don't believe in in the deliverance, the modern deliverance movement. Uh, There are pastors, biblically sound pastors all over the United States that are also seeing God move mightily and, and at work in the earth and doing what God is going to do to save his people, which is what his word says it will do. False prophecy, pulling people's legs and blowing gold dust out of air vents does not glorify God. But the pure gospel preached sure does. And God is always at work in the hearts of his people and through his people. And it is ironic to hear someone such as Daniel Kalinda, who claims to hold the power of God in such high esteem, flippantly say such things. 
Um, and he does, you know, he says he appreciates at one point there was someone that he quoted, um, I think Richard Gaffin, uh, as, as his uh, belief of what God is doing in, in those who are spiritually dead and bringing them to life. And though he appreciates that, he still um, throws some shade, if you want to use these terms, little snarky comments about, well, you know, you just don't believe in the power of God and you think God takes a day off. I think that's rather irreverent to say something like that. About five minutes, 45 seconds in, Kalinda says that cessationists are made by brainwashing, cognitive dissonance, and indoctrination. And that's true. No one ever became a cessationist by studying the Bible. Cessationists are not born, they're made. And they're made by a rigorous process of brainwashing, indoctrination, and a deep cognitive dissonance fetish. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So I guess we can assume that there's no indoctrination that goes on in the charismatic movement or hypercharismatic movement or the new apostolic reformation. There's no brainwashing that goes on. There's no cognitive dissonance that goes on. Uh, again, this is creating straw man arguments. You're creating at times red herrings. You're creating these arguments that really don't hold up. Uh, and again, referring to name calling and referring to ad hominem attacks and belittling people's intelligence and saying, well, you know, if you lock someone up in a room, they would not come to this conclusion. Would someone come to the conclusion if you lock them in a room that you can have um, an ecstatic utterance um, that's that no one can understand? Would someone come to that conclusion? Would someone come to the conclusion that prophecy can be fallible? Would someone conclude that a false prophet, uh, that a prophet uh, that misses it in the, new, in the New Testament or New Covenant does not make one a false prophet? Would someone come to that conclusion? Would someone come to the conclusion that miracles are um, seen from people saying that their back pain is gone or one leg is now uh, as long as the other one? Or, um, again, gold dust and these feathers and manifestations, do we see that? Would you come out of a room locked up with that? Would you come out of a room thinking uh, that, uh, you know, I talked about this recently with Pagani. Would you come out of a room looking at certain Bible verses and thinking, oh, well, Solomon's temple is talking about demons hiding in the 93 rooms, which includes the inner court, outer court, and the Holy of Holies, and the other 90 rooms that are making up Solomon's temple and then the winding staircase, that there could be demons hiding in your DNA. Would someone in a locked room come out with that revelation? You have to look at both sides if you're going to make that type of argument. I would say no, you would not come out of the room in a locked room thinking those things. You know, thinking about what Kalinda said, um, I, I want to ask this. How does one come to believe that prophecy can be false today without consequence? How does one come to believe that there is a private prayer language that is ecstatic and not a known language? Is there not conditioning, indoctrination, and cognitive dissonance in what Kalinda is saying? He discusses the gifts being relevant today for charismatics, and I think we need to be aware of something. I mentioned at the beginning that there's a difference between continuationism and restorationism with regards to the gifts and what one believes about them. And continuationism believes that they have continued on throughout the church age. Restorationism believes that they were gone at some point or they were not in the practice of what they should be, such as the apostle and prophet, and they're now being restored. When you look up the definition, the English definition of restore, you're putting something back into its original state or condition. And to say uh, is that uh, the apostles today are not the same as the ones in the, the New Testament, 
Testament, the apostles of Christ, while using the scriptures in the New Testament about the apostles of Christ as an example as to why that there are uh, uh, apostles and prophets a day is intellectually dishonest. I'm sorry, but it is. It's intellectually dishonest to say that. You can't use those verses, for example, about apostles and then say, well, we don't believe we're like the apostles of Christ, but yet you're using those verses to affirm that there are apostles today. But I've heard some of these individuals say, well, people that want to argue that hold a position of cessationism, that it's because they've never had an experience. No, that is, again, not true. That's a logical fallacy that you're saying. That's not true. There are many of us who are saying things, and we've had experiences, and we found that our experiences had to be tested by Scripture, and they were found wanting, and they were found in error. And so you cannot use that argument to dismiss the the whole conversation about cessationism versus continuationism. So there is a difference between continuationist and restorationist. And we also need to be honest and consider that much of what charismatic state as gifts of the Spirit today do not match what is found in Scripture. And that is one of the concerns that people in the, in the cessationist, the whole the cessationist belief, are concerned about. Because we're seeing both in the early church history, which is about over 100 years old for the charismatics, in the 19, they go back to Azusa Street. Bonnie Bray, Azusa Street, Agnes Osmond, all of that, all of the the occurrences that happened there, William Seymour, Charles Fox Parham, you have the God's generals that were going back to Lairdon's books about, you know, Alexander Dowie and Mariah Woodworth Etter and Amy Simple McPherson and Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and all these people. And you're told partial truths about these people and you're told stories that cannot be authenticated and you're you're not told their shady past you may be told a little bit of it so that way it makes it still look like well yeah these are fallible people but there's still people that we need to emulate and we need to get their mantles and we need to we need to honor them and we need to carry on with what they were doing and you don't hear about some of the things that are very problematic and troubling in their doctrine, in their um, in their criminal uh, history, in the fabrications they had. If you're holding to these charismatic beliefs, then you need to take all of that into consideration and you need to make sure that the, the final authority in your life as a believer is Scripture. It's not the, the, the testimony of Smith Wigglesworth that is your foundation. It is not the testimony of Catherine Kuhlman or any of these other people that you hold in high esteem in what they did in their ministries. And people were harmed or killed in some of these ministries earlier on in some of the practices that took place. We need to know the history of these, these things if we're going to hold these people in high esteem and then we're going to say that we need their mantles. In order to carry on, Scripture has to be the final authority. If they are not the same, if the gifts are not the same, then how can we pursue something, as some of it will say in this movement, that we should have that is not even in the pages of God's Word? How can we pursue something that's not even found in Scripture if they're not the same gifts? And we also need to consider that if someone believes that modern-day apostles are not alive today, then that is a form of cessationism, which, again, he's saying is heretical. So... There's that. 
he mentioned the gifts um, in Scripture. There's several different spots where the, the gifts are mentioned. There's Romans 12. There's 1 Corinthians 12. There's 1 Peter 4. From my understanding, when I've looked into this and read about it, the, some of the scholars believe that this is not an exhaustive list of the gifts, but it still helps us to see that, that there were gifts that God gave to the church. Uh, Ephesians 4.11, we also see the, the p- apostle, uh, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher. Some people do not believe in fivefold. They believe in fourfold, by the way. So they will lump pastor and teacher together and say fourfold, that that's one office or gifting as opposed to the fivefold. So I just want to throw that out. I find it interesting that he points out that there are many gifts. And he and to be fair, Kalinda does make the, the point of saying that charismatics and cessationists both um would tend to focus more on certain gifts than all of them and not and not understand that there are other gifts other than prophecy, tongues and healing. I do want to point something out, though, when he said this, because he's saying, well, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're pursuing these gifts. If we're not, then we're disobeying scripture. He's not the first person to say that. He won't be the last one to say that. But when he makes this comment, I just find it very interesting as someone who was in this movement that there is a heavy focus on prophecy, tongues and miracles or healings. So why is there such a focus in the charismatic movement on prophecy, tongues and healing then if there's all these other gifts? Like he's making this comment and saying, well, all the cessationists want to focus on is prophecies, healings and and, uh, tongues. It's because they don't want to do them because they don't want to get their hands dirty and they don't want to be accountable and they just don't believe and blah, blah, blah. Why is no one wanting in the charismatic movement to be activated, which is not biblical, by the way, in generosity or serving? Why are there no teaching conferences or serving conferences? Where are the classes for the gifts of mercy? Where are they? We're not seeing this. We're not seeing webinars. Everybody, you need to come and to understand how to have the gift of uh, mercy. You need to have the gift of serving. You need to be activated to be a servant for God. No, instead, there's a focus on prophecy, tongues, and healing. Activating tongues and healing, getting an impartation, having a webinar training on these different things, going and paying for classes. Because you see in this movement, they may mention these other gifts. They'll talk about them, but the focus is on prophecy, healings and tongues, and they are emphasized. They are emphasized. I would suggest as far as if you want to try to understand both sides, I would uh, recommend looking at the book that just came out from Tom Pennington called A Biblical Case for Cessationism, Why the Miraculous Gifts of the Spirit Have Ended. And I think that it will just it will definitely be helpful if you're someone who is believes in, in the continuation of gifts that you would consider reading this and looking to see what they what he talks about. He talks about that there were three different areas in the biblical history where you see the miraculous taking place and that there was a certain period of time that seems to be consistent. And then there was silence, essentially. There may have been little things that happened here and there, but even there was 400 years between the end of Malachi to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. There was silence. And so the argument now is from the cessationism standpoint that the canon of Scripture has been completed. The apostles were sent by Christ. Christ came in his earthly ministry to atone for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to bring redemption and reconciliation for God's people to present the gospel in its fullness, uh, empowered and delegated his apostles to go, and their ministries were authenticated uh, by the signs and wonders in order to validate their ministry that they were truly sent from Christ, and they established 
the foundation for the church to be built. And we see this in Ephesians 2.20, that they laid the foundation with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone sets the direction for the building. So the building is the gospel that we're, that's being built upon of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are the living stones, according to First Peter, that we are being added to the, to the, uh, to the church. And the church is being built up. And though I know that he mentioned this in his talk, because apparently this is not a valid argument to him, you only lay a foundation once in a building. And that foundation has to be complete before the building can start to be built. So to say that we need apostles and prophets today, again, would imply that the foundation is not complete. And it's not sufficient enough for the church to be built. And that's incorrect. It actually is sufficient enough to be built because what God does, he does perfectly and in completion. Um, I wanted to play this for just a bit, this clip uh, from Daniel Kalinda, where he talks about cessationists treat gifts like a buffet. He says that we are embarrassed by the charismatics and want to look dignified and do not want to be accountable for doing things for God. They peruse Paul's lists like a menu at a fancy restaurant and they say, mm, okay, so from 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight, I'll take helping and administering hard pass on apostles and prophets, miracles, healings, and tongues. From Ephesians four 11, I'll take pastors and teachers, but no apostles or prophets, please. And from Romans 12, I'll take serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, and mercy, but no prophecy. I don't think that's how it works. You don't just get to toss the stuff in the Bible that contradicts your theology. This isn't a buffet at Golden Corral here. This is God's word. Maybe have a little bit of respect. And so just to be fair to cessationists, because I don't want to misrepresent their position, they don't reject all of the gifts of the Spirit. They gladly accept the ones from Paul's lists that are not obviously supernatural, like I just mentioned. But this in itself is a little bit sus, as the kids say nowadays, isn't it? I mean, can we just drop the pretense here and address the elephant in the room, please? You cessationists, listen, you guys know that you don't have any biblical justification for cessationism, don't you? At the end of the day, this isn't really about theology at all, is it? It's obvious what's going on here, guys. Let's just face it. You are embarrassed by us. You're embarrassed by people that speak in tongues and prophesy. You don't want to be associated with those crazy charismatics that fall on the ground and do strange things. You like looking dignified and intelligent and rational. That's what this is about. Just admit it. And so this is the reason that you're fine with the nice gifts of the spirit, like helping and administration and serving and encouraging and giving and mercy and pastors and teachers. Why? Because these aren't embarrassing to you and they don't carry any kind of burden of proof. They don't expose you to the risk of ridicule or criticism. I mean, look, guys, you say that you believe in the supernatural. You say that you believe that God is still moving supernaturally today. You just don't want to be accountable for anything that demands some kind of evidence. Now, he goes on to quote Richard Gaffin, which I said a minute ago, and that he does agree with him about salvation being a supernatural event that takes place. But then he also said, why would Gaffin not be okay with the lesser supernatural things such as prophecy and tongues? And I would offer this up. I wonder why, and he may be bothered by this, Kalinda and others may be bothered by this in this movement, uh, why they are not more bothered, maybe I should say, by false prophecy, fake healings, fake resurrections, spiritual abuse. Abuse, the twisting of God's word. And again, I know spiritual abuse and twisting of God's word can happen outside of the charismatic church. But there are claims that are not verified. And there's nothing wrong with that with wanting verification. There are people in Scripture that wanted verification. Scripture itself is a record of verification of things that took place. It is not a fairy tale book, and it's not a fable. It's accurate, inerrant, and infallible speaking from God himself as he carried men along by the Holy Spirit 
And so I, I don't know if, if he's concerned or others can, are concerned about that, if they're concerned about erroneous visions, uh, claims to extra biblical revelation that leads people into deception and into further biblical illiteracy. There are people that value these modern prophets' words today more than they do scripture. And that may sound harsh saying that, but that's true. I would dare say that there are people that know more about what the prophetic words coming out on social media are than they do what, what is contained within the word of God, because they value what these people are saying. They want something new and they want something fresh, but they don't want what God has already said. And they don't even know what God has already said many times because of the level of biblical illiteracy. That's a huge problem because us knowing scripture and what it actually says in the proper context is part of our intimacy and fellowship with God. And so when we don't know what scripture says, we begin to make a God of our own imagination and our own understanding and of our own ways. And then we've made a God of, uh, essentially we've committed a d- idolatry because we've made a ma- we've made a God in our own image that does what we do and thinks how we think, and we've sinned against God essentially. And I will say this: while listening to him, there was an impression of a bully tactics being implemented, and he may not have meant that, but that's why it came across. It was very bullyish to to say the things he was saying. He said the Bible doesn't need our rationale or excuses. He says, if you're going to hold to sola scriptura, then you cannot hold to cessationism. And this is very interesting because I would argue that to claim to be a prophet and to speak from God or to be an apostle today or to write books stating that the Holy Spirit gave you revelation or that you are a female apostle who gets revelation from the Holy Spirit regarding deliverance for your specific group of women, that that is violating sola scriptura. And in fact, I actually started reading this book recently that I picked up from G3. I went to that conference and I saw the premiere of this cessationism movie, and I thought it was actually well done. This uh, book is called Signs of the Apostles, Observations on Pentecostalism, Old and New, written by Walter Chantry. And I want you to listen to some of the things he says, for example, in chapter four of this book is Scripture Complete. When he's talking about the the Pentecostal movement, the modern Pentecostal movement about speaking in tongues, prophecy, dreams, and visions, Chantry says, quote, none of these gifts may be conceived of apart from the concept of an infallible revelation from God delivered to us through those who are experiencing the gifts. Speaking in tongues is nothing less than to have one's speech faculty so completely controlled by the Holy Spirit that a man utters a language unknown to himself. The words are not consciously chosen by the speaker. Rather, he speaks the very words of God. Regardless of the language used, speaking in tongues is a form of prophecy. Because King Saul once uttered ecstatic speech, it became a proverb in Israel, is Israel among the prophets? 1 Samuel ten twelve. Anyone who speaks in this manner must be identified as an agent of divine revelation. Certainly visions and dreams from God are claims to receiving inspired communications of God's truth. And that's the problem. When you begin to say that you speak on behalf of God, and we'll look at Troy Black here in just a moment, and some of the things he said that when you speak on behalf of God and then you also want to say, well, it could be fallible, then you are undermining God's sufficiency and his omniscience and his omnipotence. And you're undermining God's word, as I said earlier. On page 25 of this book, Chantry goes on to quote about Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and he said it contrasts Old Testament prophecy with New Testament revelation, because the revelation of these last days came in one generation. Indeed, it all came by one person. He goes on to say, so complete is he as God's revelation, referencing Jesus Christ, and so sufficient was his work as a prophet that the apostles and their New Testament books are viewed in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 as merely confirming what the great prophet had already said. 
He goes on on page 27 to say, The apostles' writings were not new beams of light, but reflections of the glory that shone in the Son of God. I really like that statement. So this is another book I'm going to recommend that you read by Walter Chantry, The Signs of the Apostles. Again, I think that you need to be well-rounded. I, I sat for years listening and reading some of the material uh, on, on the, the continuationism and then the apostles and prophets being restored and such. So why shouldn't you read these books and watch these videos to understand better and then from there and do Bible study and not listen to your heart on the matter, as Troy Black will tell you, you know, go go look at your heart and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to keep your heart open so that way you can receive the truth. Uh, your heart is is deceived easily apart from Christ. And your heart is not to be trusted because your heart will do all kinds of devise all kinds of sinful and wicked things. I would not advise that. <laughs> I would advise you to stick to Scripture. I, I just find it very interesting because he, he mentions sola scriptura, but to, to claim extra biblical revelation is actually denying sola scriptura because scripture alone is not sufficient for you to understand what God would say. He says the Bible does not teach cessationism, um, showing a list he compiled on a blank piece of paper. And I would ask, where does the scripture say that, that the, these things will continue? I will agree. There is no scripture. And there are, other, there are Bible scholars that will say this. There is no scripture that says that they will cease. There's also no scripture that says they will continue. And again, the argument goes back to, are the gifts that you're arguing for today matching with scripture? And I think that that's a fair argument to make. Uh, about 18 and a half minutes in, he points to scripture. Uh, he, he mentions about 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, stating that cessationists use this to affirm their belief. He argues against that, which has been done. And according to Tom Pennington in his book, he states that it is unwise to use an unclear or disputed passage on either side, because both sides do it, to create doctrine. He mentions about Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He discusses the apostolic gifts and the continuation of the gifts today. The issue that we have, I'll repeat again, is the gifts being defended today do not match the ones in Scripture. And again, this is coming from someone who was part of this for many years, and there are people that were part of it much longer than I was that came out of it and realized the error. Ephesians 2.20, uh, Jude 1.3 was another one, that, uh, two other ones that he mentioned. About 30 minutes in, he says that he does not desire to add anything to Scripture and that the Bible is a closed canon, inspired and should be obeyed. He says that God doesn't need our protection, but our obedience. Claiming divine revelation outside of Scripture that is fallible, I would say, would seem to disobey Scripture. And I think that that's pretty serious. And speaking in ecstatic utterance in a gathering all at one time, and I have been in those gatherings many times where that was encouraged, that also violates scripture. There, that's chaos. I mean, you, you have that going on, and people are encouraging that, singing in the Spirit. There's no interpreter, and then they try to get around this with different interpretations. What does the passage have to say? What does scripture have to say? When was 1 Corinthians written? When was Acts written? Would Luke and Paul who traveled together, would they know what each other was talking about? Would that change? What was the context of 1 Corinthians 14? What was the full context of 1 Corinthians 14? I mean, these are all things that we need to be looking at. And I'm wanting to do a study for myself and looking at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 to have a better understanding of that um, as I continue to grow in my understanding of the scripture. About 32 minutes in, Kalinda says, do continuationists have scripture to uh, support their beliefs? He went, uh, yeah, tons, tons. Okay. Again, 
hyperbole, but there, there's not tons. And it, again, it goes back to that whole argument. Are they the same? And I know I'm beating that that a drum constantly, but you need to ask that question. Are they the same gifts? And then he lists off several, which are very common to list off, such as Mark 16, 17, 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 1 Corinthians 14, 39, Joel 2, 28, 29, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. And that was quick, but I want, I'm going to, I'm telling you those so that you can look those up if you want to look those up on your own time and study those. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about Troy Black. So Troy Black made this statement, as I played for you at the beginning, and he said uh, in his video, which was uh, released on October 6th, it was released 11 days ago on October 6th, and it was called What God Just Told Me About Cessationism and Their New Movie. So Troy Black says at the beginning, uh, for those who would question if he is to prophesy today or if anyone is, he instructs them to go to the Word of God and ask God to show them what it says and to pray and to have an open heart about what the Holy Spirit would say. Where are we told in Scripture to have an open heart regarding prophecy? We're not told that our heart is to be one of the areas uh, as as far as being the authority from which we understand God speaking. Again, that is dangerous to say something to somebody like that. And there's a lot of times that I've listened to his videos before when he says things. And there's a lot. It's very convoluted when he talks. And I think that that I don't know if it's deliberate, but I think that it's it's that way because it 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 makes it difficult to test what he's saying. And again, convoluted in saying, well, I don't hear God perfectly. And, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And hopefully God can just do with, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll just say, God, I did my best, you know, with what, what you told me. And um, really, it's, again, a diminishing of God's power. He's been on record numerous times saying he does his best to hear God and that he doesn't hear him perfectly. And if we can hear and understand fallible human beings, then how much more should a prophet of God when speaking on the authority of God hear and speak without issue? We don't see prophets in Scripture that did this. Uh, They did not preface the words they spoke on command of God like this. Well, I cannot hear perfectly, people of Israel. I cannot hear perfectly, Paul, as Agabus would speak to him. But I'm doing my best, and this is what God told me. How does that not undermine the omnipotence and omniscience of God? When prophets of God spoke in Scripture, they spoke with God's authority. He and others, Troy Black and others, will use this statement. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. Well, the prophets of God in Scripture were not perfect. In and of themselves, they were not perfect. Remember what Nathan did? He was not speaking on behalf of God when he told David to build the temple. And some people will use that text to say that he was. He didn't say God said that. He just said God would be pleased with that. But then he was instructed by God himself to correct what he said to David. So that shows that Nathan was speaking out of his own understanding. He was not speaking on behalf of God at that moment, even though he was a prophet. But when he spoke on behalf of God, it had authority. When God speaks, it is not full of error or ambiguity, and it is authoritative. Every time God spoke in Scripture, it was authoritative. His word is authoritative. And so when we have this teaching that people can be fallible and still be prophets of God, that does not match Scripture. Troy goes on to share a couple of Scriptures he says are clear that the church is to prophesy today. He says that 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. 
I would just for time's sake, I would encourage you to do some studying on First Corinthians 14. There is a book. It's an older book from 1999 called um, Addressing the Spiritual Gifts. And I actually have it. And I'm wanting to start reading it to do a study on this by Robert Thomas. And uh, it's about the First Corinthians 12 through 14 taking it verse by verse and looking at it and seeing what these mean. I would recommend that you get books that you're studying these these scriptures and that they're trying to help you understand the historical context, the authorial content, um, what was going on at that time. So that way we so that way you have a better understanding and essentially growing in your fellowship with God. Uh, Troy says that one of the ways you can quench the Holy Spirit is by despising prophecies. And he says that he has a compiled list of the dozens of prophecies he has gotten right. Now, what I found interesting uh, in that in that time, it was two minutes to four and a half minutes that he spoke about these scriptures and that despising prophecies, which it seemed very weird how he worded it. It was it was like he was lumping in the false prophecies with the true prophecies and basically saying you shouldn't despise prophecies, regardless if they're true or false, because you could be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. The word of God is is prophetic. It is prophecy. And I don't despise scripture. And I hope that you don't either. So we also have to take into consideration the canon had not been finished at this point. And what was the scripture that they were referring to in the early church? It was the Old Testament. So we need to be aware of some of these things and to understand why the gifts were uh, available at that time, why some of these gifts are associated with the apostolic according to the, those that hold to cessationism, and uh, recognizing the different periods in the timeline of the miraculous taking place, how long they did. It was a span of about 65 years when you look at the three different areas and what took place there and the significance of that and recognizing there were silent areas or very few and far between miraculous things that took place. And those could be things that God did himself, not even using another person, but he still did those things because God is God. So those are all things to take into consideration with that. But he talks about his list of prophecies, dozens of prophecies that he's gotten right. So my question is, what about the wrong ones? That he stated because he has stated some that did not come to pass. For example, Chris Roseboro on Fighting for the Faith two years ago covered one regarding um, an, a prophetic word that Troy Black released about uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and that there was going to be a devastating uh, thing there that happened with the the transportation there and polar bears and all. It was just silly some of the stuff he said, and so that did not come to pass. And I would just say this: when you look at scripture. Uh, one false prophecy is one too many for someone claiming to be a prophet of God. One, one is, that's, that's you're done. <laughs> one and you're done. You're a false prophet after that. You need to repent, close up shop. You need to, you need to sit down. Uh, you're a false prophet when you do those things. You should not, that you are not a prophet of God and say, well, I can still miss it. That undermines scripture for one thing. So what, what, uh, keep someone from saying that about anybody else that's that's within the canon of scripture and agabus is used as an example and i've covered that i covered that a while quite a while back maybe a year or two ago about agabus and people are divided about about that and saying agabus was wrong which i do not agree with that based on what scripture says he was not wrong he was accurate there's nothing in the passage that would conclude that he was inaccurate or a fa- or did not get it correct and to imply such a thing would mean that he was a false prophet he spoke on behalf of the holy spirit 
So he did not say, well, I don't hear perfectly. I think this is what God is saying, but don't hold me to it. Don't hold me accountable. And then also, two people will say, well, you're supposed to test prophecies. Troy Black said that. You're supposed to test them. But then when you go to test them, they don't like that. So then you're called a religious spirit. You're called a Pharisee. You're critical. You're, you're shutting down the move of God. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're doing all these things. And then you talk about not obeying Scripture. It's just, it's, very, it's all very interesting, isn't it? It's all very interesting. And we all have things to learn, myself included, in all of this and continuing to understand and holding firm to the authority of Scripture. So one false prophecy is one too many. Um, he says to test modern prophecies against Scripture. Many today are vague and cannot be tested in the ways to find them in the Word of God. And that includes His. They're vague and generalized. When you give a timeline that changes between the, the season, a year, a decade, or however, until Jesus returns regarding the Roman Catholic Church, for example, that is a vague prophecy that cannot be tested because you are moving the goalpost on your timeline. So you can't test that. If the claim to accuracy alone is what they deem as proof of being from God, and they essentially appeal to that for the authority of the word given, what do they have to say about the false words then? How does claiming God told you something that does not come to pass glorify Christ? Is the proclamation of the gospel not prophetic? And is it not sufficient? I mean, that's foretelling. That's prophetic in nature. And there's another thing you can, an article from Bob DeWay that you can read that talks about the prophetic calling of every believer. It's a great article. I highly recommend that you read it. Some of these articles and videos I actually have on a resource page on my blog that I have for people coming out of the hyper charismatic NAR movement to help them. I've compiled some things and I continue to add to it. But you can check out that article, The Prophetic Calling of Every Believer. You are called to prophesy, meaning to proclaim, to for forth tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're to proclaim him. That's prophetic. Does it make you a prophet as far as someone who holds an authoritative position? But you're prophesying when you do that. You are forth telling. You are proclaiming about Christ because scripture is prophetic and it is apostolic in nature. That's why we don't need apostles today. They're still ministering through the word of God. Not in a necromancy type way, but God's word is authoritative and he used the apostles to lay the foundation to have the word that we stand upon as believers in Christ for the foundation for the church. So they're still ministering. We still have apostles and prophets that have ministered through scripture. I don't know why that's a problem to hold to that and to um, basically say, well, yes, we still affirm this. We don't need new ones because that undermines the sufficiency of what God already did. So about five and a half minutes in, um, Troy says that prophecy is a gift given to the church by God. And he quotes John 10, 27. And by the way, this is not a passage. And I mentioned this before uh, that is instructing us to hear the voice of God for ourselves. And that's the way he's using it. This is a salvific passage. So you have to read John 10 in context. And he goes on to say that Jesus did not stop being the good shepherd, seeming to conclude that that to cessationism, um, they believe that Jesus has ceased being the good shepherd. Now, I don't know if that's what he meant or not, but that's the way it sounded. Uh, Jesus has not ceased being the good shepherd. You can be a cessationist and still believe that God is moving and doing things today powerfully. Just because I don't believe in uh, fallible prophecy and in ecstatic speech and ecstatic utterance, and that I question some of these claims of miraculous healing that are not 
proven and verified does not mean that I don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it does not mean that I don't believe that God still heals, deals, does miraculous things in this world that are beyond our comprehension or understanding. And it does not mean that I don't value the Holy Spirit. Again, Ian Hamilton said he's a continuationist when he believes that the Holy Spirit is still very much active today, but with regards to the apostolic gifts, he's a cessationist. I think that that's a, that's a good point to make. About six minutes and 25 seconds, Sam Troy Black says this about um, prophecy concerning cessationists, and I want to play this for you real quick. This is, this is what I heard the Lord say, okay, about this cessationist movie that came out. Uh, this was on October 4th. I was... I was just spending time with the Lord. And this is what I, I begin to hear. This, the Lord said, this is the moment when my people who call themselves cessationists begin to come home and listen again to my spirit who originally called them to me. And then he said, my, my spirit is reaching out to those who have walked in faith, but have laid down a portion of faith in exchange for theology. From here, Troy Black goes on to give the definition of theology, and he says that you can have your theology correct with no relationship with God, and your theology cannot save you. As I mentioned before, I want to point out some things just to get just to get you thinking a bit, okay? This movie premiered September 21st at the G3 conference, as I mentioned, and this video from Troy Black aired October 6th, and he stated he got his word from God on October 4th. So, it, it seems odd, and I don't, maybe it, does it seem odd to you? I don't know that he claimed to hear from God after this movie was released. I just find that very convenient. I find that interesting. Um, I mean, we have prophets of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament that foretold with specificity and accuracy and who spoke on behalf of God so boldly as Agabus did to say, thus says the Holy Spirit. Isaiah prophesied details about Jesus Christ hundreds of years before Christ came into his earthly ministry. So my point in saying that is, is this really prophetic, what Troy Black is saying? Or is it seemingly trying to be an encouraging word, yet cloaked in an emotional tie to personal feelings against cessationism? I want to bring this to your attention as well. This is not the first time that he has prophesied, uh, and I use that in air quotes, about cessationism. Uh, he p- did this two years ago, actually. This is the prophetic word I heard. And y'all, when the Holy Spirit speaks something that sounds harsh, I don't believe he's saying it in a harsh way. And, and the way that he said this was with the heart of love. So I'm going I'm to share that ahead of time. This is what he said. Cessationists have been deceived by teaching that comes from a spirit of Phariseeism. Cessationists have been deceived by a teaching that comes from a spirit of Phariseeism. The Lord gave me several verses, several scriptures to go through. I'm going to go through the word, and I'm going to try to show you what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, so that was from two years ago, and and he titled that particular video, God Told Me This About Cessationism and Spiritual Gifts Ceasing. Now, again, I'm going to point this out. When you title a video or you say, God told me this, then you're assigning authority to what you're saying. You can't say out of one side of your mouth, well, I don't hear God perfectly. I'm not a perfect person. We get it. You're not. None of us are. But when a prophet of God spoke, they spoke with inerrancy and with authority. Because if they didn't, they were killed in the Old Testament. Now, we're on the dispensation of grace. And I would argue and say, 
I'm not arguing for anybody to be stoned today, stoned to death as a false prophet, because I was a former false prophet in this movement. I recognize that God extended me mercy because I deserve judgment for falsely prophesying and ascribing things to him that he never said. He granted me repentance because of that, and I turned from those ways by the power of his spirit and obeying his word, and I don't do those things anymore. That's the fruit of repentance. And that's only by the power of God and by his grace that that even can happen. But this type of stuff right here, when you're saying God told you, and this is what the Holy Spirit said, you're speaking like a prophet in scripture. And those prophets that were truly of God could not be fallible when they spoke on behalf of God. Stop doing that. Stop it. (laughs) He claimed that God told him this about cessationism and spiritual gifts ceasing. Why didn't he prophesy? My que- and my question is, why didn't he prophesy about the film and the conference regarding cessationism two years ago? If you claim that you hear the voice of God and that you want to lay claim to all of these accurate prophecies that you've had about the future, then why didn't you know that this movie was coming two years ago? And why didn't you prophesy at the time about that? And warn people, if this is such a problem, and this belief is such a problem, and it's pharisaical, why not know about that? You can't use the whole thing, well, we know in part and prophesy in part. That's, again, that's being abused as well, and being stripped out of the context of what it meant. He compares those who speak against the gifts today to Pharisees. And I would simply say, to do a study, as I said, what the Pharisees did, and how they demanded signs, and how they saw them, and they still rejected Christ. To disagree on the continuation of spiritual gifts in accordance with Scripture is not a denial of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. In fact, Scripture testifies that He is God, and He is Lord and Savior. I believe that. There are many people who are cessationists who believe that. There are people who are continuationists who believe that. Again, this should be an in-house discussion among born-again believers. When we begin to get into this area of aberrant teachings that lead away from Christ. That is a serious matter. We need to be willing to have these discussions. Now, when you're talking to false teachers and you're trying to to talk with them, false prophets, things like that, Scripture tells us how we can handle those. But Scripture testifies that, that Jesus Christ is God, and He is Lord, and He is Savior, and I believe that. And I will also say there's a logical fallacy made on Troy's part when he states that those who have not experienced these things are the ones who question and do not believe, as I've already stated. He says cessationism, about 8 minutes, 45 seconds in, that it's a doctrine that preaches against the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the gifts to the church. About 9 minutes and 25 seconds in, he says stirring is happening in the camp of cessationism, as I played for you at the beginning, and that the conferences and movie will backfire and bring people over to the other side and cause them to question. I did not find that to be the case, as far as I'm concerned. I found, if anything, that just caused me, drove me to Scripture even more to want to understand, even more so, be at peace with knowing that if I believe and hold to this this belief system, it does not affect my salvation. And it does not mean that I don't acknowledge the power of God. I reverence the power of God. And I would say that trying to hold to things that aren't found in Scripture is irreverent towards God. We need to be willing to consider that. 
uh, he talks about 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 13, that this is proof that you can go and ask the Holy Spirit if what he said is true. He goes through this whole thing about that passage. And honestly, again, very convoluted. He does say some true things such as there's the mystery is referencing the gospel. That is true. But the context of that is referencing the gospel. Um, he says that uh, verse three in that in, in 1 Corinthians 2 is talking about prophecy and gifts in hearing the voice of God. I do not agree with that. That was 16 minutes in when he said that. I do not agree with that. He's reading into the text. I would is what my opinion would be. Again, he's not getting it. Um, Seventeen minutes in, he he makes a comment about the power of God, um, and I, I just want to play that for you real quick. We're we're wrapping up. We're getting cl- we're getting close to wrapping up for the day. But I just want to play this for you real quick before we start heading out and having some final thoughts. Listen to me. If the scripture taught that Paul preached the gospel so that people's faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. Why has that changed today? Should we not be preaching the gospel so that people's faith would rest on the power of God and not the wisdom of mankind? The wisdom of mankind is not going to cut it. We need the power of God. The scripture says it right here. This is verse 16, that same chapter. Listen to me. You, if you know Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. When I hear people like Troy and others talk about the gospel uh, and the power of God, at least the power of God, they do present some truth as far as the gospel is concerned at times. But they also seem to lump in signs and wonders being integral in order for the gospel to be effective. And when he says this, I, I don't I think he's missing it. Honestly, he's 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 not getting it that the gospel, the gospel the proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And that power is sufficient. There are no signs and wonders that are necessary in order for people to come to saving faith in Christ. They, those things have already been done. And the greatest sign and wonder and the miraculous that happened was Jesus r- rising from the dead. And that nobody else that could, that claims to be God uh, and God's status can claim that he is the true and living God. So I think that he misses that. And he also mentions about theology and he kind of, again, does this double speak with it? Well, theology matters. It matters because in order for the correct gospel to be preached, the theology has to be correct. So, it does require your mind to work, and there's even some Gnostic teaching sometimes in this movement that the the focus on the mind and understanding it is diminished, that it's almost viewed as evil in a way that it'll get in the way of the Spirit. How low of a view of a Holy Spirit do you need to have that you think that your mind can get in the way of the third person of the Trinity? Your mind is needed in order for you to understand and comprehend. It's all together. Your mind is necessary. Your soul is necessary. It's all combined. And then the, the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing the work within you. It all comes back to insufficiency as far as what people believe. I, be, I firmly believe that. It comes back to that. Uh, Troy goes on to talk about how those who believe in Christ came to faith. He tries to prove the point that God communicated to you and, that your heart, and to your heart by His Spirit. But my question would be, how did he do that? Because he's he's making it sound as if those that are cessationists, they really need to understand that that God actually was communicating with you and that he was communicating to you in your heart by his spirit. Yes, but he did that by the preaching of the gospel. 
That's how you came to saving faith. You heard the word of God. He says you didn't audibly hear him, but he communicated with you. Again, he's missing it. God did speak to you. His word is living. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, according to Romans one sixteen. Read Romans ten. I mean that Romans ten seventeen is a is a highly misquoted passage in this movement. For example, that is in reference to to salvation to the gospel. So him saying that uh, God is communicating with you, and it does not have to be audible or a manifestation. It's through His Word. I don't understand why this can't be enough, why it can't be enough. So he goes on in 19 minutes. He encourages those who hold to cessationism to go and read the word of God personally. He tells people it will not hurt them to open their hearts to the Holy Spirit for what he is doing. So again, when he says open your heart, does he believe that what he's saying is truly from God? And that if you question it, that you're closing your heart to what he's saying, which would mean that he actually does believe that what he's saying has authority and is infallible, even though he says that it could be fallible. Do you see? This is like a merry-go-round. It's a merry-go-round. It's a bad merry-go-round. You can't do this. You can't tell people this and tell them, well, you just need to open your heart to what I'm saying. Well, what you're saying is you're saying could be fallible and you're undermining God and his attributes and his word. He he says it will not hurt to ask God to get clarity through his word. And I think it is worth noting that there could be an argument that people are being instructed to gauge things by their heart first. And then what they believe the word is saying based on their heart agreeing with it. And that's dangerous. Who's to say who's correct? Someone that comes along, you got five people in a room and they've listened to Troy Black say this and three of them say, oh, he's he's correct. And they are all professing believers. All of them are saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's a son of God. I believe their doctrine is all correct. Let's just say that hypothetical. You have three of them in the room that say Troy Black, he's hearing from God. He's hearing from God. And the other two say, no. He's not. This is a false prophecy. It did not come to pass. Uh, it's it, it's violating scripture. No. But yet they all claim to be. Who's who's hearing from the Holy Spirit? According to Troy, you would have to go back and you need to test. You need to open your heart to what he's saying. And of course, you want to use the word of God, but you really need to open your heart to the Holy Spirit and for what he's doing and for what's being said. You're putting what you're saying on par with Scripture. Actually, you're putting Scripture underneath what you're saying. And you're basically wanting to conform Scripture to your prophetic word. That's not how that works. It's not how any of this works. Okay. At the end, he prays for unity, even in the secondary issues. So I appreciate you sticking with me. I'm sorry these things, these episodes get a little bit more drawn out, but I apologize. But I'm closing right now with some thoughts for you today. And I thank you again for your time. So in closing, the modern prophetic movement displays the error many times and the lack of satisfaction in the word of God being sufficient. That would that's an argument that I would make. And as someone who was part of it and engaged in these teachings and these practices and beliefs, uh, Jesus Christ is our prophet, priest and king. We do not need prophets today. And if someone insists on needing prophets, then we need to ask where Sola Scriptura fits into this equation. Because believing in fallible prophecy actually does not agree with Sola Scriptura and and agreeing with that God speaks authoritatively whenever he speaks. 
And furthermore, the fourth telling of the gospel to spiritually dead men and women whose hearts are likened to stone is prophetic because God's word does not return to him void. It fulfills the purpose for which it was sent. We can see that on Isaiah 55, 11. And I would encourage you to read Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 about the where as far as the heart is concerned. God is the one that starts the work within us and he completes it. And he gives us a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. He is making us, he brings us to life because we are dead. According to Ephesians 2, we were dead. He's not throwing us a life preserver. We were dead because a dead man can do nothing. So taking all this consideration, I mean, my goodness, when did the glorious gospel stop being enough to be in awe of the majesty, the glory and the holy splendor of God? You see, unbeknownst to some that would um, belittle cessationists as far as that's concerned, there is still this awe of God and this over uh, the overwhelming understanding of what God has done and who he is above all elicits joy, elicits um, rejoicing, praise, thanksgiving. Um, It, it brings me personally to this, um, this place of gratitude towards God and worship and adoration towards him. And thanking him because I don't deserve not I do not deserve one bit of what he's done in my life. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve any of it. But yet I'm I'm so thankful because I've been redeemed and I've been adopted into his family and I've been made new and he's forgiven me and I've been transformed by his power alone. And I want to glorify him and to praise him and to testify of him and I reject the notion that because I thoughtfully and carefully came to the biblical understanding of cessationism that took time, it was not an instant thing, that I do not know God, that that the Holy Spirit has not sealed me for the day of redemption, and that I do not honor His sovereignty, His power, and His will. I heard His voice the day I heard the gospel, and I am content with that. It wasn't an earth-shattering thing. And it it wasn't some manifestation that happened. I recognize that hearing God's word spoken out loud within the confines of Scripture is God speaking. You heard his voice the day you heard the gospel. For those who have received him as their Lord and Savior, you've heard. The Holy Spirit helps you and leads you to understand the very word he carried men along to write. I know what it is like to constantly seek to hear the voice of God while plucking scripture out of context and not even knowing the sufficiency of the original meaning, assigning a meaning to a passage it never said, while being blind to the glory it contains in the testimony of my Savior. And I don't mind having conversations with people that claim to be continuationists. Again, restorationists and, and going to these other things, that's different. I don't mind having conversations with people that want to be fair and want to be... Um, not dis- dismissive of being objective and true biblical discernment and wanting to honor the scriptures. I don't have a problem having those conversations. We need to have more conversations. We all need to learn not to be keyboard warriors and to be willing to remember that our conduct is to represent Christ. If we are born again believers, we need to be patient, kind, gentle, while always being bold to stand and speak the truth in love. That's what we're told to do in Scripture. You want to talk about obeying Scripture? 
That's what we need to be doing. We need to be proclaiming the gospel and resting and rejoicing in the sufficiency of what God has done and what he's provided to us. And with that, I will cease today. No pun intended. Well, maybe it was. (laughs) Thanks again for joining me today. I hope you found this helpful. There's some links in the episode description provided for you. I encourage you to check those out. Get some books to read. Do some study on this. Do some Bible study. Be willing to to listen to some thoughtful discussions or debates about this and to, to weigh these. And the final authority is Scripture. And to understand that this is, um, it's not diminishing the power of God by saying this. And I would encourage you to even watch the cessationist movie. I think it was well done. And I think that you need to be willing to look at those things. And it's not sinister or demonic uh, to to make such a thing. I would, again, be very cautious when you're labeling things like that, that are actually uh, uh, presenting a biblical approach to things with scripture rightly divided. So I hope you have a blessed week. And until our next time together, be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawn at lovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesixscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.